Welcome to the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. Welcome to the Out of the Park podcast series, a ministry of the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am the Reverend Dr. Mike Hegeman, the Associate Director of the Park Center. We have with us today the Reverend Eric Kubarian, who is the Executive Associate Pastor here at Pinnacle Presbyterian Church. Welcome, Eric. It's good to be with you, Mike. Thank you very much. Now, uh, today we are thinking about travel. And especially since we're recording this in the middle of summer, we're thinking about summer travel and the impact it's had on our lives. Uh, I know that I've been able to travel multiple places in the summer, and usually associated with that is heat. But we're thinking more about the sense of what international travel can do and uh, broaden our perspectives and understandings, uh, both of life and faith. So recently, Eric, you traveled to England. Tell us a little bit about the purpose of that trip and what you were able to do there. Yes. So very recently, I just got back two days ago uh, from a trip a little over two weeks in England. And I'll talk about the end of the trip first. This was a combination of study leave and a little bit of vacation as well. And the tail end of it was the vacation part. Um, I went up to the Lake District of England, which is in, in the north of England. I had not been there before and was looking for somewhere where I could unplug and take a deep breath. And uh, that's what I found there. So I um, stayed a few days up there and went hiking. And a stark contrast to our 118 degree temperature today. Uh, it don't I don't think it went above 60 while I was there, and it was rainy and cold, and I loved every minute of it. It was um, a time to really reflect, um, and I think sometimes we have to get away from our present settings, our usual settings, to um, to go to that high mountaintop, which. Um, I don't know what the altitude was, probably not that much, but it felt like it after a couple hours of hiking uh, through the fells, as they call them there, uh, and and watching the, the weather move and the the sheep graze and the, uh, and the goats talking and the cows mooing. It was um, a way that I, I don't know that I could have unplugged um, perhaps without taking a big trip. But this, like I say, was at the tail end of uh, of my trip. And the front end of it was um, spending time with 23 other clergy uh, together at a place called St. George's House, which is at St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle. And uh, this group of clergy was gathered together to talk about the question, uh, what do we say or how do we speak about God? And so that was the purpose of our time together. And the purpose of my trip. Well, let's visit both parts of that trip for a little bit. Let's go back to the end of the trip. As you said, uh, I know that you told me about a place that you got to worship on a Sunday morning. Tell us a little bit more about that place. Oh, that's right. So I stayed in a very small medieval village called Cartmel, C-A-R-T-M-E-L. And Cartmel... Um, 
is known now for having a very uh, highly acclaimed three-star Michelin restaurant, and that's what brought me to this little village. Uh, and I had a phenomenal meal the night before and stayed in one of their uh, rooms at the restaurant. And then the next morning, I took a walk about and um, and right there in the village was the Priory of Cartmel from 1188. Uh, and so this church building has been there um, for quite some time. And I, I went in to go to worship that morning for the, the sung communion service. And um, that is quite poignant to sit there and think about the fact that for, what, almost a thousand years, worship has taken place in that spot, in that church. I think uh, many years ago, 26, 27 years ago, I went to Norwich Cathedral in the kind of the central northeast uh, part of England. And uh, this was a Norman construction, so after 1066. So, But right after 1066, this cathedral was built. And at that time, they were kind of celebrating 900 years of liturgy in one place. Mm. And that was I was struck the same way as the sense of wow, this over, overwhelming sense of that historic nature of faith unfolding in a place like that for, you know, 900 years or, you know, Certainly there's other places where that's been longer, but I had never been to a place that I could really feel that over that uh, sense of when I say overarching, it's like that Gothic cathedral creates that sense of there is a higher order and structure, a, a vault of heaven in which we are, you know, we we participate in something greater than ourselves. And yeah. that that was the feeling that I got in that space. What was what struck you most about that community gathering to worship with them on the on that Sunday morning? Well, the hard part actually is a trend across much of England, which is the emptiness of the church. There were not very many people uh, in that in that worship space. There was a choir of about uh, eight um, eight individuals who, um, well, I'll be mildly catty. They didn't sing very well, and they could barely walk. I mean, it was a it was a pretty advanced age group of uh, of a choir and. Um, and a priest who I think was used to not having many people in the in the church and probably about 16 people spread out through this church that could hold, you know, a couple hundred. And so it was very it was I was actually reflecting a bit on that as well, on the on the cultural decline of um of attending church, especially in England uh, and throughout the world. We're experiencing it in this country, too, but the English are certainly experiencing it quite a bit. I, I do want to point out one other piece that's interesting, though, too, that in this church, and I think in a lot of the smaller uh, village churches, during the uh, sacrament of communion, during the Eucharist service, when the uh, bread is consecrated and when the wine is consecrated, they ring the bell three times each at each of those. And the bell rings through the village. And so on a Sunday morning, Everyone hears the two sets of three bells ringing, um, and that is the indication to those in the village that the, the host and the wine have been consecrated. And so even those who are not in the church are experiencing in some way, or they're at least hearing, what's going on inside. I never thought about that. And just the sense of when I've been in places in Europe where they've had uh, bells ring at 5 p.m. on Saturday to announce the Sabbath, and so that all shops close. Uh, this place like Zurich, right? And mm-hmm. uh, the, the bells ring throughout the entire city, and everything closes from 
Saturday about 5 or 6 p.m. to Monday morning at 8 or something like that. Then the bells ring again to announce the ending of the Sabbath. And so it's it's a very different thing when the, when the, the kind of the, the the not the routine but the rhythm of of faith is 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 played out in the whole society. You know where that's not quite probably not true here in the U.S. right now. You know we don't see a, the the, the things that you mentioned, like saying the announcement of the Eucharist has been <laughs> has been consecrated, right. or the fact that sense of we're announcing the Sabbath. You know, when I when I grew up in New England, we had blue laws, which meant that most places were all closed on Sunday, and a lot of things where you weren't supposed to be doing on a Sunday. And all, I think in many places though that has all changed in the yeah. U.S. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things you showed me a picture of that church. And the sign outside, and one of the phrases it used on the sign was saying, we've been welcoming pilgrims here since 1188. And uh, did you feel like a pilgrim on that day? You know, it's interesting because I didn't see that till you pointed it out to me uh, at the time. Um, but yes, in some way, when you're journeying, especially in that area where so much of life is about hiking and walking and being on a journey, whether it's a physical journey or some other type of journey. Um, but I felt like one who was journeying. Um, I had been journeying throughout my couple weeks and then um, quite literally in those days of, of going for long walks and uh, and hikes. I think part of what a pilgrim does is seek. A pilgrim seeks God. A pilgrim seeks answers. Um, and so I would say yes, that in that space, uh, I I did feel like a pilgrim. One of the the meaning of the word journey, you know, coming from the French for uh, for, for the word for day, uh, jour. And uh, so this is a meant of like, uh, how long would you travel in a day? And what I love about the pilgrim journey is often that you're uh, thinking of it that way. Is these are you take it one day at a time, yeah. and you're you are really you're really um kind of challenge to be in the moment, right? To, to be present to this day. And uh, that's what sense of, when I when I hear you use that word, you went on a journey. Uh, you know, your journey was longer than one day, but, but reflecting back on it, you can see what did I, whom did I encounter in that day? What, what instances of, we say, uh, revelation? I say, well, did God show up? I mean, was there a God moment or two in that day? And that's what I, I love reflecting back on the journeys of life and saying, well, just break it down to a day. And what, what happened in this day? And to be really attentive to the ways that, uh, you know, these kind of divine appointments or encounters that happen through there. So would we do the same, Mike, with break the day down into the hours? And I think sometimes even that can reveal more to us because we can sit for a moment and try to remember and reflect back on what we did for each hour of the day. If we if we use the Ignatian examine, we go back through each hour of the day. How many times can I not really remember the details of an hour? And I sit with it and relax and try to understand where might I have experienced God or where might I have failed to notice that God was present even in an hour of my day. And we can go down to the minute wow. beyond yeah. that. Yeah. So let's take a step back then to the beginning of your journey. And even before the beginning of the journey, how did you find out about this program that you, I think you said a little understated, well, we were at Windsor Castle for uh, 10 days, you know. Uh, But what brought you, what brought you into this setting? Yeah, I I first heard about the program probably four or five years ago. 
and then I stumbled upon it again, and then a third time. It was even mentioned a bit in the uh, television series, the Netflix series, The Crown. There was one episode where Prince Philip um, visited with the dean of the chapel and talked about the possibility of St. George's house being used for clergy to come and be refreshed and renewed. The episode, like much of The Crown, is not accurate, um, or even remotely accurate historically, but it um, it intrigued me enough to to do a little more research, and uh, I was supposed to go uh, in 2020 and had been accepted into the program um, at that time, and then, of course, it didn't happen, and then I wasn't able to go once they resumed, and so this year they um, reached back out and said, we've got a spot for you. And so I was thrilled because um, this is something that, uh, I I thirst for, which is having um, not only intellectual discourse with other clergy, but also a moment to get away with others, connect with others, and uh, and be renewed. So, whom did you encounter in among these twenty four? Can you give us a, a snapshot of these folks? Yeah, a, a wide variety. Most of them were Church of England uh, vicars, so local church uh, clergy. Um, I would say of the 24, probably 16 were, were local clergy. Some worked in more uh, regional, so in the diocese, within the diocese, and, and one or two worked at cathedrals. Um, but the vast majority were parish um, vicars. Interestingly, almost all of them were pastors of multiple churches. So the most, I, I think, was seven or eight, and then some were just two or three village churches. Um, so that was the vast majority. There was one who came from the Church of England's uh, chapel in Moscow. One came from Spain, one from Ireland, uh, a couple from Scotland, and then a, a couple others from the U.S. as well. So when you mentioned, when you you did say Church of England in Moscow, was that also the Church of England in these other countries as well, Spain? Yes, so Spain was a Church of England chapel there, and then in uh, Ireland... Learning about the Church of Ireland, uh, that it's actually Anglican, I was was really quite surprised, but uh, it wasn't until I met somebody who was studying at Princeton Seminary who got a degree there, here in the U.S., but then went back to Ireland to study at the Church of Ireland Training College in Dublin, which is uh, part of the full Ang- Anglican communion. What was more surprising to me were the two uh, individuals who were clergy from uh, Church of England churches in um, in Scotland. Actually, they were the Anglican Church of Scotland, uh, as opposed to the Church of Scotland that we're more familiar with, which is our parent church as Presbyterians. So these were Anglican congregations in uh, in Scotland. Part of the, these journeys that we make, these pilgrimages that we make, uh, traveling, we use different words and they signify different things, but uh, you, what would you categorize about this as a, a real sense of discovery? Did you have to, or I could say, what did you have, what perceptions did you have to let go of to really be present to what was happening there with you? Yeah, so I, I'm going to have a chance to talk in more detail mm-hmm. in a couple weeks when we have a little session on August 20th after worship, um, but I and, and I've, I've been reflecting quite a bit on what I will share in that time. But I wanted to point out a couple things that might be helpful in response to your question. One, um, I was very intrigued by the concept of being at Windsor Castle and the idea of living within the castle walls when the tourists left and the um, and it was 
just us and a lot of buried monarchs, um, to be honest. It was, it was overwhelming at first. And I, I think that my initial intrigue with that, um, felt like it might dominate my experience. And the biggest thing to me was that that all faded away relatively quickly. How many times can you stand on Henry VIII's grave and bow toward the altar as you come in and out of a chapel? Um, and, and yet, after the second or third time, that started to kind of fade into the experience. What I'm realizing, the more I even get away from it now, is that all of the experiences of being there mattered to me less than the relationships that were formed. And it all comes back to people. And it all comes back to reconnecting and connecting again with individuals who are also on a journey. And when we share our journey, when we share our experiences with one another, our perspectives on faith, our perspectives on the things of the world, more and more we begin to encounter God in those relationships. This is fundamental to my own theology when I look at the the road to Emmaus as a guide for me in understanding how God continues to mingle into our lives now. I'm convinced more than ever that it's in relationship that that happens. I can look back in my own uh, summer travel uh, and see instances that follow right along with that. That uh, I once went to Tunisia, right? And I thought my purpose was to go and see Roman ruins in Tunisia. And I got to do all that and see all that. But the most meaningful thing that happened was uh, one day I was swimming at a hotel swimming pool inside and uh, I heard a couple uh, speaking French. And so I just kind of paddled near them. And in my limited French, I started speaking with them. And now, 10 years later, we are still good and close friends. You know, it was just a sense of um, an encounter where we just sparked up as if we'd been friends all our lives and learning about each other and discovering and uh, and uh, they're still part of my life today. And I think that's true. And if I look back at any any moment of travel, it is the people that I get to meet along the way that make it most meaningful. Yeah. I, I'll add, though, too, that the topic of this program was important as well, because over the 10 days, for eight of those days, we looked at a particular issue in the world. And I think this particularly relates to the work of the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life. We looked at the area and asked the question, how does God speak into this uh, situation in the world? So one day it was talking about cancer research and organizations that are that are doing the work of uh, of research related to cancer. And one day it was looking at museums and the ownership of artifacts and who owns them and, and repatriation of uh, of those things. And so we started the day with a discussion of scripture and, and um, continued with a discussion of a book and then went into hearing from speakers, including the director of the Victoria and Albert Museum and others who were quite influential in their area. And then our small group synthesized. What did we learn from the scripture? How did it speak and inform how we see this other issue of the day? Uh, and so quite a powerful um, repeated pattern each day of looking at that question of how do we speak about God? And I think that's a perfect place for us to wrap up for the day is to really to be asked that question for ourselves too. How is it that to speak for us to speak about God, but also moments to be quiet and listen how others are communicating uh, who they are and how they experience God in the world, and maybe even encountering God in, in others wherever we travel. And there's a sense of how we 
you know, that there's a posture that we can hold to say, ah, whom, who will display God to me this day? You know, and uh, I think that's a, an important part of, as you said, as we listen to all the, the cries of the world and what's happening in the world. Um, and so we, we go forth and we go forth uh, boldly sometimes, cautiously some other times, but really to, to think saying this day, this journée, this day, this day's travels can really bring me encounter with the living God. So, Eric, thank you very much, and I look thank forward you. to a further conversations with you around what you experienced and learned during your time away. Thanks so much. For those of you who are in this uh, Scottsdale metropolitan area on August 20th after uh, our 10 a.m. worship here at Pinnacle Presbyterian Church, Pastor Eric will be sharing more about what he learned and experienced and gained from his time at uh, with the folks to gather together at Windsor Castle. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org.